Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. I'm Christine Panton. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. It feels like ages since we've done this. Probably has been. It is. This one is being recorded quite close as the crow flies to, to release listeners, which has been unusual for us this year. So mm. let's hope that <laughs> by the time this is finished, Peter will have time to edit it before it's due out. How exciting. <laughs> this will be the proof of the pudding if you're listening to it now. This mm-hmm. week, we are doing issue 95 of The Brave and the Bold. Peter's going to tell you about the cover. Well, we're at that strange period where there's not an actual proper DC logo. So in the top left-hand corner, we have Batman holding his cape up at his face, the way the Spectre used to do. Mm. And underneath it, it says, DC, Brave and the Bold. There's a big cigar band banner at the top that says, The Brave and the Bold's Most Bizarre Team-Up. Batman and... Question mark? Yes, we should say, it doesn't actually say question mark written down. (laughs) It has a large question mark, listeners. Yes. Question mark would be a really good... Character, wouldn't it? Probably. <laughs> I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure it's been done. <laughs> I would hope so. Now, we have Batman on this cover. He's looking shocked. He's holding a revolver, a smoking revolver. There's mm. a corpse lying behind him. And he's looking forward at a figure whose shadow is looming right over him. And he's saying, You, but you're lying here, dead. Gosh. And at the bottom, there's another banner that says... We dare you to guess the identity of Batman's shocking co-star. Listeners, you may already have guessed the identity of Batman's shocking co-star, or you may be familiar with who it is because you've read ahead or you've done some research or some extrapolating. If you have and you're listening to it with someone who hasn't, please don't spoil it. No. I think Peter's going to be quite careful in the listings for this episode, aren't you, Peter? So as not to give it away. I'll see what I can do. The hashtags <laughs> might give it away. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Don't maybe there's maybe one hashtag that you don't use this time. Can you put in hashtag question mark? Would that work? Yeah, it might be. <laughs> I'm going to be very careful when I post the the appropriate images on Instagram. I'll maybe obviously have to use one or two panels from towards the end of the story, but I won't. We won't be flagging it up. Maybe on the last day of of the week for this episode, we'll post a a, a couple of panels on Twitter. <laughs> So this is, I think, our 23rd or 24th Neil Adams cover. I don't have my list to hand, so I can't check that, unfortunately. But I promise that the next time... Well, there was that one he inked, which we counted as a half, so... Yeah. The next time we have a, a full actual Neil Adams cover, I will have checked. But yes, it's nice to see it. Superb. So, Christine has joined us again this week, obviously. Hello, Christine. Hello. Are you well? I'm I'm too busy being speechless because I really don't have a voice to do that. <laughs> that bodes well. Absolutely. It's going to be fabulous. Yes, Christine is joining us again to help out the vocal duty, so thank you, Christine. It's much appreciated. And we better go on with it then. Batman, The Brave and the Bold, issue 95, cover dated April, May 1971, but published on the 6th of February 1971. Our opening page, split into four panels, the caption for the first one goes like this. Most towering of all Gotham City skyscrapers, dwarfing even the majestic Wayne Building, is the Big Double R, home of Ruby Rider Inc., into which a famed familiar figure now enters. We should describe this building. It's a touch of the Chrysler buildings to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a way, I think that's probably fair. Very art deco, lots, lots of windows, a nice sort of style at the top, and two large red R's 
that we can see, and there's a sort of beacon on the top of them, mm-hmm. shining out into the city. We see a sort of scraggly speech bubble at the bottom of panel one. It's obviously a radio voice, and we see in panel two that it's a security guard speaking to sort of telecom unit, and this security guard is saying, Batman arriving at street level, Miss Ryder. And then we see in panel two that Batman is sort of walking through a scanning archway, a big square archway with the double R's on it, and there's some beams that he seems to be that seem to be reading him. And the security man is continuing into his little handset saying, Batman is clean, Miss Ryder, no weapons. Then he says to Batman, Say something, we must check your voice print. Big boss lady takes no chances, eh? Okay. Mercy dotes and dozy dose and the blazes with Ruby Ryder. Interesting. Panel 3, Batman is walking through the foyer of the building. We can see several of Ruby Ryder's employees standing watching him go, and they're all young ladies. We see Batman walking towards an elevator. There's a speaker in the wall above it, and from this speaker comes a voice which says, Miss Ryder speaking. Stop gawking and get back to work, girls. He's only a man. In the foreground of panel 3, as Batman walks towards the lift, we see one of Ruby Ryder's colleagues, employees, and she's thinking, she watches Batman go. But what a man, you bossy witch. Final panel, page one. Batman's in the lift. It's ascending. He's a couple of security guards with him. And the security guard actually here looks like Aquaman. He does. Yes, I was going to say. Uh-huh. He's wearing a, a very tight orange shirt and a yellow. he's a yellow belt. And his blonde hair. Yeah, so it's quite amusing. Unexpected Aquaman cameo. There's a sort of sound effect coming from the ceiling because a little cloud of what looks like gas is coming out of a nozzle. It causes Batman to exclaim, That spray! What the... And we see in the roof of the lift, there are some more speakers. And once again, Ruby Ryder's voice emanates, saying, My favourite band's cologne, Batman. Tiger lover. I can't stand those cheap scents most males use. And so we arrive at the top of page two, and in typical recent Brave and the Bold style, we're given the title of the story in a very stylized fashion. There is a drawing of a coffin, and it has written on it the three letters C-O-D, and then spelled out we have the words Corpse on Delivery. And there's a little bit of text in the shaded side of this coffin that says... 100 stories above Gotham's scalding streets, far from the dirt, the noise, the struggle and defeat of ordinary lives, down cool, silent halls to where someone waits, strides, the Batman, and thus enters into the epic episode of his amazing life. Yes, Tiny Captions tells the artist by Nick Cardy, and we are told that the story is by Bob Haney. Bob Haney, strap yourself in, folks. Yep. So this is obviously at the top of the building. As I said, there was a slight Chrysler building look to the to the shape of the thing. But there's obviously what's going on at the top of the building is some large windows or large glass panels. We're inside a very wide room, which has a lot of plants ranged around the outside. We can see the open left doorway with Batman silhouetted in it. And we see Ruby Ryder. She's almost caricatured, centre-parted, long red hair, very wide green eyes, very wide mouth, wearing a very tight-fitting green tunic top with some nice detailing, green slacks. She's sat in a chair, very large chair, with her, which has the now familiar RR symbol at the top of it, and she has a desk in front of her, and standing also to the side of the desk is a gentleman wearing a suit who is kind of receding, what looks in this panel at least, receding curly white hair. He's holding a briefcase. So, Ruby Ryder. She addresses Batman as he stands in the doorway and she says, Batman, you're late. You owe me four minutes of valuable time. 
Leave us, Hinton. My words are for his ears alone. But have those contracts ready by morning. And the gentleman with the receding curly white hair says, They will be, Miss Ryder. And she just said, as a second ago, I suppose, but Ruby is lifting up a clock from her desk, which, you know, she's obviously checking the time she was expecting Batman. Batman approaches in panel two, saying, Okay, Miss Ryder, what does the world's richest woman and top female tycoon want from a poor working crime fighter? I want to contribute to your favourite charity. Five million dollars. Five million? That's a lot of bubblegum wrappers. Ruby stands up. We can see more clearly now she's a very long cigarette holder in this panel. She operates a switch on the desk. There's a click and as she does this, she says, I can make it in a weekend on any halfway decent deal. That's not the point, but this is. And we see in the first panel of page three that some screens have lit up showing four images of a youngish looking man with short curly brown hair. A couple of just shots of his face. One where he appears to be doing some poaching. Looks like he's killed a rhino. That's not very good. Another one where he looks as though he's appearing as one of the bad guys from the video for Take On Me by AHA. (laughs) And Batman and Ruby address these images and then have another conversation which continues for the rest of the page. Those pictures. I know that guy. Of course. Kyle Morgan. The most beautiful, wonderful hunk of man since Adonis. And my fiancé. Kyle, my adored one. I love him and he loves me. We were going to be married, secretly, this week. Married? He must be quite a man. You swore no male would ever possess or dominate you. Kyle changed all that. I'd gladly be his slave. Forever. But, but he's gone. Vanished in South America, where he went to evaluate emerald deposits for one of my mining companies. God, she's Elon Musk. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. She's Lady Elon Musk. Yeah. Ruby stands with her arms spread wide, almost in, I wouldn't say exultation, but that's not probably the word I'm thinking of. Presentation? Yeah, something like that. She's obviously into Kyle. She continues in panel four. Batman, you must find Kyle. Bring him back. I've said rescue teams have spent a small fortune. They've all failed. But you, the world's greatest manhunter, you alone can succeed. Hmm. Hunting criminals is my bag, not missing bridegrooms. Bat's rubbing his chin thoughtfully there, but Ruby has a check in her hand in this final panel of page three, she says. Five million to charity, if you do. Ruby Ryder's check is as good as gold. Even on the moon. Please. And the caption for the first panel of page four says, As the caped crusader hesitates. Ruby has dropped to her knees in front of Batman here. She's clasping her hands, looking up at him as she says, Oh, man of the night, man of mystery, I beg you, I humble myself at your feet. Bring back my love. Ruby Ryder, the tycoon tigress begging on her knees? Well, okay, I... I'll do it. And in panel two, the saucy minx leans up and gives Batman a little kiss on the cheek, gasp, as she says, You made a heartbroken woman smile again. Hinton, my lawyer, will explain the details. All expenses will be paid by Ruby Ryder Inc. Hurry, and good luck. A slow dissolve then, the caption for panel three of page four. Shortly in another office. Yes, Batman is standing in front of Hinton, and we can see that Hinton's hair seems to have grown back slightly at the front, and it's now sort of brown and curly. So maybe maybe just experiments with wigs, I'm not sure. 
Maybe she calls all her minions Hinton. Maybe. Maybe she only employs people who are called Hinton. Maybe. That's very interesting. Also mm. possible. Batman is standing in front of Hinton's desk. We should point out there's a massive big picture of Ruby on the wall behind him. It says a lot about Ruby, their modesty. Batman is standing with his hand on his hip. It must be time to dip, as he says to Hinton. Well, Hinton, she persuaded me. She's quite a dame. Miss Ryder is no dame. She is the world's best business mind. Absolutely brilliant. He's only a framed photograph of her that he has on his desk. It's quite creepy. He gets a, a weird side of his head close up here in panel four, which makes him look a little bit like John C. Riley. Yes. It must be said. Maybe mm, I should have attempted a John C. Riley voice. Or maybe we should have got in touch with John C. Riley to see if he'd have done the voice of Hinton. What's he doing these days? <laughs> that would have been nice. Hinton continues, She's a goddess. A legend. No man is good enough for her. He stares at this photograph and Batman thinks, He's in love with her. That dry lawyer's heart is hung up on Big Boss Lady. Bet he hopes I don't find lover boy in those boonies. If you can translate Batman's last sentence, that'd be lovely. So, <laughs> a slow dissolve. There is a caption for the final panel on page four which says, Sometime later, a steaming town on a South American <laughs> river. A steaming town. Now, does that mean they're all drunk or they're all doing some laundry or are they all processing some fish? Who can say? Could be. Combination of all three. But in the foreground of the panel, we see a chap with a, a sombrero over his face enjoying his afternoon siesta. A couple of straw roof buildings in the background. Um, there's a horse tied up outside one building, which looks like it might be some kind of saloon. Batman, in full kit, is walking towards it and he's thinking, This is where Morgan's last trace was found. And then in the first panel of page five, we see Batman's silhouette behind a beaded curtain as he speaks to a gentleman who is sat at a table in front of him. Big, thick, heavy set chap, blonde hair, has a sort of cigar stub in his mouth, big shoulders, wearing an orange shirt, a brown sort of vest, waistcoat effort, and a big, loose brown hat on his head. He's got a glass in front of him, quite a small glass. I'm guessing it's whiskey. Batman leans in towards this chap and says, Jake Angel, I'm looking for Kyle Morgan. I was told he hired you to fly him to the Emerald Fields back in the bush. In panel two, Batman's hand is poking through the curtain. Jake isn't interested. He's almost like he punches Batman's hand out of the way. And it looks like Batman's hand releases a photograph, which we're presuming is of Kyle. Jake says, Never saw the guy. Get lost, buddy. And in panel three, Batman has leaned in further through this awful beaded curtain and has grabbed Jake by his shirt, pulling him forward. Batman says... You're lying, Angel, like you lied to the search parties that came here before. Am I, Buster? Prove it! With a sock, Jake punches at Batman, but Batman leaps forward, grabbing Jake by the shoulders as he says, If you insist. Tables and chairs go flying. Jake grabs a piece of chair. The final panel of page five is if he's going to whack Batman with it. And Jake says, Mister, you're in for the beating of your life. And the first couple of panels of page six are just them fighting. Batman punching the stomach, Jake punching Batman in the back of the head, Jake going for a bottle to try and strike Batman. Batman thinks in panel four as he punches Jake, This guy's tough. Better pull out the stops. And in panel five, Batman has once again grabbed Jake by the shirt. Jake's hat's gone. Jake looking a bit like George Kennedy in Cool Hand Luke. Yes! Maybe I should have done my George Kennedy voice. I'm fine. I was really actually just talking about George Kennedy yesterday, but that's a whole other conversation. Guns of the Magnificent Seven, 1969. Maybe after this we can all do it 
again with different voices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's just go back to the, let's just start from scratch again. Let's go back to the beginning. No, no, no. We'll do an alternate take. It's fine. We'll do that as a Christmas bonus for people. <laughs> We've got all night if we have to. George Kennedy looks up at Batman and says, "Ah, nobody ever beat Jake Angel in fair fight before. What do you want, fella?" Kyle Morgan, take me where you took him. And a large caption for the final panel, page six, says, Shortly. And this is a lovely panel showing some of the, the detail that Nick Cardi is renowned for. I mean, some of the figure work so far hasn't been his best, I'm going to say, but this is ridiculously detailed. There's a canoe moored in the river bank. We can see some cottages. There's some Spanish moss hanging off the trees. And the sun appears to be going down as a little seaplane flies over this river. And we hear Jake Angel saying, Down there. That native village. I dropped Morgan off there six months ago. Take me down, Angel. Take me down, Angel. Isn't that a song by Willie Nelson? (laughs) (laughs) The caption tells us we're continued in the second page following. And as we arrive at the top of page seven, the caption for the first panel says... Moments later... Batman has left the aeroplane, which we can see floating in the, the river or the sea, whatever it is, behind him. We can see evidence of a thatched hut. And we can also see in the foreground of the panel... Some very caricature-styled native South American Indians with bows and arrows and Guy Gardner haircuts. Batman is walking towards them, thinking, Headhunters! Hope batheads aren't part of their collection. And then in panel two, there's a vrrr sound effect in the far right-hand side of the panel because Jake Angel's aeroplane is taking off. Batman cries, Blazes! Angel's flying the coop and the natives are getting restless. The caption then for the next panel says, In the deepest jungle or darkest alley, a Batman's best friend is his utility belt. Batman has whipped out a smoke capsule, so he's being surrounded by little clouds of fog. But as the astounded natives recover from their surprise... Yes, we can see them all firing arrows and throwing spears into the cloud in the final panel of page 7. It's almost as though Batman has disappeared, but falling out of the cloud is a number of photographs of Kyle Morgan. The, the native chaps look astonished. And then we see Batman in the first panel of page 8 has actually climbed up a tree and he's looking down at the, the native people who are all clutching the photographs. One of them is pointing into the distance and Batman is thinking, Phew, my magic show took their minds off violence and that photo's triggered something. That hut. Yes, because we can see a sort of thatched hut in the background and that's obviously where the chap's pointing to. And then we see in panel 2, Batman has approached the hut, standing in the doorway and he looks astonished because we can see in the foreground... A silhouetted figure. We can't really see who it is, though. Batman exclaims, Good Lord, it's it's Kyle Morgan. It's the end of the search. Ruby Rider's going to be waiting at the church forever. I suppose the implication there is that Kyle Morgan has had his head hunted by these native Indians. Oh, dear. There's a big spike it's there as well. Mm. Yeah, it's not it's not very clear what's going on there at all, is it? It's as close as I could get for the comics code, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks, now that I look a bit more closely, it looks as though there's maybe Kyle's hair has been pulled up and there's been a rope mm. tied around it. It's almost like his head's hanging. It's not very clear. Listeners, we might put this panel on the socials for you to decide for yourself what's going on. I definitely didn't understand it. <laughs> yeah. It is quite messy, some of the storytelling mm. in this one, I think, compared to some of the other Nick Cardi stories we've done. Yeah. But we'll talk about that further, I think, when we get to the end. A caption, then, between panels two and three. Two days later, after a dangerous dugout canoe trip downriver... We're back with Jake Angel, who's got his hat on, smoking another cigar, got his feet up. There's a bottle of presumably whiskey or tequila or something on the table in front of him. 
Jake is looking very like Boris Johnson <laughs> in this panel. He does. Cowboy Boris. Oh, don't. Oh, that would be another costume for him. He would love that. Yeah. This is insane. So that means I'm going to have to go back and do all of Jake Angel's lines as Boris Johnson. <laughs> Jake looks very pleased with himself as he's saying, that bat character is the prize piece in those hen hunters collection by now. But unbeknownst to Jake, Batman is looming over him from behind. We see Batman's silhouette as he says, But I'm not Angel, and neither is Kyle Morgan. Batman grabs Angel by the neck in the next panel. Gosh. I'm trying to think who Jake looks like now, because it isn't George Kennedy and it's not Boris Johnson. I'll think of something. Jake is appalled. He cries, You! You're dead! No, but you will be if you don't take me to Morgan. That phony shrunken head only fooled me for a minute. You forgot the natives leave the hair its original length, not close cropped. Now talk! So it wasn't Kyle. Phew. Another caption between this panel and the next one says, Soon at some ancient ruins beyond the town. And the final panel of page eight is another very well-rendered panel by Mr. Cardi. It's a stone building. We can see Angel and Batman with the sunlight behind them standing in the doorway. Jake says, There's Morgan. What's left of him? And we see in the corner of the panel another figure, a man lying on the ground, who gestures towards Batman and Jake and says, Man in cape. Nice man. Going to tell Kyle a story. A tiny caption says we are continued in the second page following. Pass advertisement for a gridiron grabber. If you don't know what that is, look it up. And there's something about jewellery, some kind of Woodstock branded jewellery. So that's also very interesting. Yes. But we arrive at the top of page nine. Jake looking kind of like Gan from Blake 7 if he was blonde. <laughs> looking very grotesque, actually. They're obviously leaving the temple ruins. Jake is stunning. Batman is bearing... Kyle, we can see that Kyle has short brown hair. Looks a bit like Hal Jordan, really. He's wearing a yellow shirt. Jake Angel is saying, Fever. Some type I couldn't cure. He's been that way for months. He's obviously talking about the weird condition that Kyle was in there. Batman looks angry as he says to Jake, What was your game, Angel? Big ransom from Ruby Rider? Well, you'll get nothing now. And I'm taking your plane to fly him out of here. In panel two, Jake pulls a gun. And starts to say, no, you... You might shoot better than you lie and fight, so... Oof, as Batman kicks Jake in the chest. Yes, and we see panel three. Jake is down on the ground, flat on his back. And we can see what looks like a check lying on his chest. Batman walks Kyle towards the Red Sea plane and Batman says... Another item for the old expense account. One plane, ten thousand bucks. Come on, lover boy, you've got a date with the world's richest girl. $10,000? Is that what it would have cost to buy an aeroplane in those days? May have been. I think Bruce Wayne probably would have a, a good idea of how much uh, fancy stuff like that costs. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. We have another caption for the next panel. Two days later, as Batman, with only stops for fuel, banks the plane over northern mountains. Yes, we see the aeroplane flying over some very nice scenery, actually. Lots of trees, forests, big wide lake, and what looks like a, a building which looks like it's a glass dome built on a sort of supporting foundation that is in the familiar double R's for Ruby Rider. As the plane approaches, Batman is thinking, I'm groggy, but there's the big double R, Boss Lady's Country Estate. The final panel of page nine, Batman is at the controls of the aeroplane within the cockpit and we see, silhouetted behind him with a spanner in hand looming over him, it's Kyle. Batman doesn't see Kyle, he's thinking, Now to deliver my package and collect that five million. He slept like a baby all the way. 
Maybe that medicine I gave him helped. And then as we arrive at the top of page 10, a caption says, But as some finely honed sixth sense alerts Batman... Batman moves to the side as Kyle brings the spanner down, and the spanner with a whunk only strikes the back of the chair. Kyle, however, lunges forward on panel two and grabs Batman by the throat. Batman thinks, The fever must be making him crazy. And Kyle, who looks kind of like the 10th Doctor, or maybe the 14th Doctor, as played by David Tennant <laughs> in this panel, cries, No! No, you can't! In panel three, we see the aeroplane twisting and turning with broom and vroom and broom sound effects. That's... I might even get a tweet out of that. <laughs> That's a great panel. Panel four, we see Batman and Kyle tussling inside the aeroplane. It's a very interesting perspective. Mr. Cardi's flipped the perspective 180 degrees, so it looks as though Batman and Kyle are upside down. Maybe they were upside down. Very exciting. And the amazing thing about this is Batman's speech bubble has been lettered upside down so that we, the reader, have to turn the comic upside down so Peter can do Batman's voice saying, You don't want to get hitched to a half a billion bucks, pal? You've got to be out of your skull. Out Your Skull, that's very close to Out of Our Heads, which is the 1965 album by the Rolling Stones. A caption then takes us to the bottom of page 10. Now hands that have piloted through a thousand aerial squeezies take control again. And soon... Yes, obviously Batman has managed to land the plane safely because he's now carrying Kyle under the arms into Ruby's very attractively furnished early 1971-style living area with some nice ceiling-mounted lights and some big, fancy, open, round chairs, which none of us can decide what they're called, but you'll know what I mean when you see them. <laughs> Batman says... Here he is, Miss Ryder. A bit worse for wear. Oh, Batman, I knew you could do it. The first panel of page 11, they've dumped Kyle in a very fancy-looking, nice blue sofa. Ruby says... Thank you, and here's your reward. Five million dollars. Batman reaches for the cheque and says, My pleasure. There's a bunch of kids in Gotham's ghetto who can use every penny of it. Looks like your bridegroom's coming too. Yes, Kyle does wake up in panel two. He looks very startled as he sees Ruby and he cries, Ruby! No! A close-up of Batman who says, Huh? Good God! And we see in panel four, Ruby has pulled a gun. There are four shots as she fires at Kyle as she says, Hello, Kyle, darling. <laughs> oh my God, she is a psycho, isn't she? And panel five is a close shot of Kyle's still hand on the floor with Batman crouching down behind him, crunching the check in his left hand. And looks like he's picked up the gun that Ruby was using in his right hand. Presumably Ruby must have thrown it on the ground. Batman is saying, I, I can't believe this. He's dead. She killed him in cold blood. Batman turns in the final panel of page 11, and we see a couple of figures approaching. Very helpfully, Batman says, Ruby Ryder, she's gone. Hinton and the state's attorney general? Yes, we see Hinton. At least we think it's Hinton. <laughs> it's just a guy in a black suit who doesn't really look too much like the guy called Hinton that we saw earlier on. And the United States attorney general is a man who looks kind of like Jeffrey Holland from the sitcom Heidi High. That's a, a reference which I'm sure American listeners will understand. He's wearing an orange suit, obviously very popular in such times. Dark-haired, in a side parting. That's what I mean, listeners. And this chap says to Batman, Batman, we heard shots. What? In the first panel of page 12, we see Hinton, who actually looks more recognisably as Hinton, looking down at Kyle's body. We see Kyle's feet poking into the bottom corner as Hinton remarks, Good heavens, Mr. Mallory. Oh, we've <laughs> it's an episode of Sliders, listeners. <laughs> it's Kyle Morgan. Miss Ryder's fiancé and Batman, who's now apparently talking to Prince Charles <laughs> by the look of things. Prince Charles has taken the cheque in his hand. He's also taking the gun from Batman. And Prince Charles 
the United States Attorney General at this point in his career is saying, I was here to approve one of their business mergers. I didn't expect to find you, Batman, standing over a body, gun in hand. I'll take those. Are you not going to do it? It's just the American voice that you used before. I was here to approve one of our business mergers. I didn't expect to find you, Batman, standing over a body, gun in hand. I'll take those. Yes, the gun in the check. Batman protests and says, I can explain. Miss Ryder, she sent me. I brought him back. She... He's cut off by the Prince Charles lookalike who says, Check for five million. A high price for homicide. You either kill them or are an accomplice. You're under arrest, Batman. Stop! And the reason he said that is because with a massive crash sound effect, Batman has leapt through the window, thinking, Without a believable alibi, I can only bug out. And then we have another weirdly spaced and lettered caption between this panel and the next one that says, Two days later, as a solemn cavalcade crawls toward the cemetery... Yes, we can see what looks like a funeral going on in the background, lots of gravestones and silhouetted figures. A row of cars, one of which is being approached by a figure in a large-brimmed hat and a brown overcoat. From inside the car, a voice cries, Batman! And this coat and hatted figure says, Quiet, Hinton. If you give any sign I'm here, I might get violence. <laughs> Batman, who's not doing a brilliant job of disguising himself, it must be said in the final panel of page 12, he's just, we can see that he's, he's got the hat over his, his cowl. How that fits, I'm not sure, but we can still see his costume. It's kind of the inverse of that time he broke his leg with the plaster over the costume. It's yes. reminding of that somehow. Mm. Batman's climbed into the back of the car, and he sat there with who we think is Hinton, but it looks nothing like him. <laughs> it kind of looks like Bernard Breslau, and he's holding a large wreath of flowers, which bears the legend, Eternally Yours, Ruby. Batman points at this and says, What a sucker I was. And you, you knew it all along. You knew Morgan walked out on Ruby and she planned to kill him when I brought him back. Yes, I knew and I'm glad it happened. Morgan wasn't good enough for her. A caption tells that we're continued in the fifth page following, so we pass a full page advertisement for some really groovy posters and stuff. More jewellery that's always being peddled at the Woodstock generation. The letters page for the issue, which talks about issue 93, and one letter, very interesting. I often wonder if we should have done issue 93, but maybe we'll do that as a flashback eventually but the first panel of page 13 is a long shot in the foreground we see some pallbearers bearing kyle's coffin towards a small building which has morgan written on it and standing up the hillside in the background are hinton and batman hinton is saying i'd have gladly pulled the trigger myself but she wanted that pleasure a woman scorned is merciless a new mausoleum with his name on it you're which of a boss you had this thing planned. So maybe she paid for all the, the funeral expenses. Mm. Goodness me. Panel two. It's a shot of the coffin being born inside. We can see the baldy vicar who looks kind of like Kenny Everett, it must be said, in this panel. As Batman continues. You're sick, Hinton. Just like she is. I know Ruby left the country. Now I'm painted with this whole mess. My only way out is to find her and bring her back to face justice. A very moody panel three where we can see Batman's face silhouetted by the, the brim of the hat and you can see his coat collar turned up. Hinton looks nothing like anyone else who has <laughs> appeared in the comic. As Batman says, And I am going to get her. I'm going to get her if it's the last thing I do. And I'll be fighting you every step of the way, Batman. Now please, a little silence and respect for the dead. A slow dissolve, a caption. That night at Gotham Jetport... Gotham Jetport, wow. Yes, we see a familiar figure walking through the number of uniformed police officers who are rendered in a very stylized. One on the left actually looks a, li a little bit like either Prince Andrew or George Lazenby. 
I'm not quite sure. Mm. This figure, this familiar figure, is waiting to board an aeroplane, and he thinks... The police dragnet is out for Batman, but not for Bruce Wayne, travelling on business with a valid passport. The caption then that links this panel in the next, running at page 13, says... While in a silent sepulture in Gotham Cemetery, a coffin groans with the strain of something alive escaping its all-containing confines. Yes, there's a sound effect as we see... The coffin, which appears to be in some kind of plinth or some kind of stand, opening and a twitching arm emerging in silhouette. Gosh, how terrifying. We are in House of Mystery territory. And so we arrive at top of page 14. In the first panel, it's a high shot. We're above what looks like, frankly, looks like he's in Coronation Street, frankly. (laughs) It's a red tiled roofs. There's an old fashioned Mm. chimney pot. And to my old eyes, it looks as though this is a high shot of the heroic Autobot Prowl. You know, the one that turns into the police car. Oh, yeah. Walking down this this narrow (laughs) street as he thinks... Ruby's a real jet-setter. The witch can't resist being seen in all the best places. Panel two. We see the aforementioned chimney pot and his little chimney that it's stacked upon starting to crumble and tumble towards the ground as Batman walks underneath. Batman is thinking... If I cover all her known haunts, maybe I can dig up a clue to her whereabouts. Since this is a man-hunting job or woman-hunting job, it's a job for Batman. And there's a massive crash in panel three as the bricks hit the ground. Batman is falling forwards and we see in the background what looks like a green-skinned hand. It's, it's, mm. Is it pushing him out of the way or is it trying to push him into the direction of the bricks? Were they, in fact, the person responsible for the, the chimney stack collapsing? Who can say? But Batman looks appalled. I've never seen him look more appalled than any of the stories we've done. In panel four, he's looking up at the rooftops and we can see a silhouetted figure making his escape across the rooftops as Batman thinks... Blazes! Somebody tried to crown me king of the corpses. Of course, Hinton's goons. He said he'd be on my tail every step, protecting beloved boss lady. Panel five, we get some clarification. It's an interesting shot showing Batman's left foot and his left leg. He's standing in front of a grill in the ground, creating a drain almost, and we can see a couple of hands grasping the grating. I wonder if they've pulled it into place behind them. Batman is thinking, But who shoved me clear? A cockroach couldn't hide here. One thing I know, the Batman rule is out. He's a target. It's Bruce Wayne time again. So that hand was shoving him out of the way. Who could it have been? Mm. Interesting. The caption for the final panel of page 14. Not long after, in a hotel room. Yes, we see a silhouetted figure who appears to be wearing a very close-fitting black mask. You could be forgiven for thinking this is the Golden Age Atom, yeah. to be quite honest. Very similar. Or Marvel's Prowler. yeah. I have to say, like, I think Cardi is all over the place <laughs> yes. in this issue, mm-hmm. frankly. We can see in the background also what appears to be a rope ladder, as if this person's climbed down the rope ladder and snuck into this hotel room. And this person is holding something in his hand. There's an open suitcase in front of him. And this chap is thinking, so, there is reason to Batman's entrance and exits to this room. This passport proves he borrowed the identity of the American millionaire Bruce Wayne as a cover. That's a good way of interpreting it. We arrive at the top of page 15. The first caption says, Shortly via transatlantic phone. And it's a close-up of Hinton. We think. Looking like a very, very caricatured John Pertwee style, <laughs> almost hideous big nose and jowls and eyebrows. Receding brown curly hair. We can see the big painting of Ruby in the corner as he's saying, So, Batman is hunting Miss Ryder, disguised as his friend Wayne. Very well. Inform all operatives. Get Wayne before he finds her. 
Caption for panel two. Two days later on the Riviera. It's not very clear what's going on here, listeners. It must be said. The printing and the colouring doesn't help it. The proportion of the figures doesn't help it. But basically in the background, we see, again, wearing his hat and his coat as his disguise. as Batman or Bruce Wayne or whatever. But in the foreground, there's a silhouetted figure with a knife that appears to have climbed out of the water behind where Batman is walking. Batman is thinking. Paris was a bust. But maybe Ruby's private villa will give me a solid clue to her whereabouts. So that's where he was and those he'd flown to Paris then, had he? That's Aren't interesting. We. Yes. Oui. So, okay, yeah. <laughs> bon. Has anyone been to Paris recently? I haven't been for a couple of years. Uh, we were there literally last week. So. <laughs> it didn't look like Coronation Street. No. <laughs> well, it's not the bits we put in. <laughs> that's a nice coincidence, isn't it, listeners? <laughs> Panel three is captioned. Suddenly. And we see... The still silhouetted figure. This kind of spoils things a little bit. I'm going to have to be very careful how to describe it. He's been grabbed from behind by what looks like either a couple of very long arms or a couple of tentacles that emerge from the water. One's grabbed him round the throat. He has time to scream, but his other one grabs his knife hand and he's pulled back into the water. Batman turns around in panel four and all he can see is a brief disturbance in the surface of the water and the knife lying on a rock. And he thinks... Another would-be assassin. But someone, something got him first. No question of it. I'm being protected, but by whom or what? Listeners, have you worked out who the question mark is yet? Interesting. The caption for panel 5 of page 15. And when a weary, bewildered hunter returns later... Now, presumably this is Batman returning to his hotel room. (laughs) But he's still dressed as Batman. He hasn't got changed back into Bruce Wayne to try and (laughs) disguise what he's up to. He's playing this all very slapdash, if you ask me. Anyway, he enters this darkened room and he thinks... The villa was deserted, and I have ran out of Leeds and Ruby Rider. For some reason, my Wayne cover isn't working. I may as well operate as Batman. Well, he's obviously just heard what I said. Now, in front of him, we can see what looks like a note, a folded note on his bed in front of him. Final panel of page 15, he picks it up, unfolds the piece of paper, and he thinks... A note with a small ruby wrapped in it. And what we see on the paper... Peter, I'm going to leave this to you. (laughs) What does the note say? Jebel al-Dik. Marrakesh. Interesting. Batman continues to think. It could mean only one thing. A lead to Ruby Rider, but how did it get here? The room was locked. The window sealed for air conditioning. First panel of page 16. <laughs> Batman's looking out of a window down onto a road that's lined by trees. This is obviously somewhere in the Riviera, obviously. But he's looking down at the road, leaning out in the balcony in full Batman costume, not drawing attention to himself at all, thinking... Hinton, he could have left this phony lead to lure me into another ambush. But I can't ignore it. Finding that cold, bloody dame is my only hope. Gosh. So, there's a caption for panel two, and it says... Days later in the Moroccan desert. Gee whiz, it's a globetrotting adventure, Mm -hmm, isn't it? It certainly is. We'll have to make sure we say that in the the descriptions on the socials. Globetrotting adventure in the pages of Brave and the Bold 95. Yes, the Moroccan desert. It's a nice shade of yellow and grey and orange, and we can see a couple of silhouetted figures and camels in the distance. One of them is thinking, Jebel al dik an old mountain fortress oasis, and it's owned by Ryder Enterprises. That lead looks good so far. Hope my guide isn't as treacherous as he looks. Well, uh-oh, I'd like to buy a vowel. Caption for the next panel says, But that night, as an exhausted Batman sleeps... 
Yes, Batman in full kit, stretched out in the desert. We can see a camel behind him. A full moon! Take a drink, listeners! Hooray! Looms <laughs> in the background. Batman's covered the blanket, but his guide has a large curved knife and he's creeping towards him. The caption for the next panel. Now rearing up from the cold sands, a presence, a shape, a grotesque thing the moonlight can only hint at. Yes, I'm reminded of the shade as he was depicted in the 90s and the the early Mm. 2000s in the pages of Starman. It's this Mm -hmm. black mass just seems to be reaching out almost from Batman himself and the guide with the knife is terrified. He's recoiling in horror as the black shape almost seems to form into hands to grab him. The caption for the next panel. And when the desert sun blazes over the horizon. Yes, Batman's obviously woken up. In the foreground of the panel, we see the hand of the guide lying still, still with the knife grasped in it as Batman spots him and thinks, My mysterious protector was here again. But those tracks, they're like nothing human. Or is this thing that follows me really some ultimate killer? Some grim jest of Ruby Rider? And then we have another caption for the final panel of page 16 that says, Travelling on alone into the sharp, cool air of the mountains, the masked manhunter reaches... And Batman thinks... Jebel Al-Dik. Yes, because he's flung a line into a window, a large arched window, and he's using his bat rope to climb up the side of a building as he continues to think... Is this the Tigress's lair at last? And as we arrive at the top of page 17, it's almost like a scene from the Arabian Nights. Ruby Ryder is wearing a nice... Big sleeved, loose thing, open to the belly. We can see she's got a nice big necklace on. She's weird, shapeless pants on. Princess Jasmine costume, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yeah. Well, where's the tiger? Well. Batman is once again silhouetted as he makes his entrance, and we should point out that out of Batman's line of sight is a large burly figure with a huge blade lifted above his head. As Batman enters, he says, Jackpot! Okay, boss lady, we're done playing Lost and Found. Batman! All you'll find is a well-deserved death. And that is the cue for the large figure with the large knife to bring it down on Batman. Batman steps out of the way as Ruby cries. Woo! And in panel three, Batman punches his assailant, so he goes flying. Ruby looks on aghast, and then she says in panel four, How'd you know he was there? I know you, Miss R. If he hadn't been there, you'd have a gun in your gorgeous paw. And who'd believe it? Ruby pulls a small pistol in panel five, saying, Well, he's not there now. And I do have a gun. And then in the final panel, there's a fap sound effect as Batman says, I never hit females, but with you, I'll make a happy exception. Yes, and he basically punches Ruby in the face. Outstanding. Brilliant behaviour from Batman there. We do not encourage this in the slightest. I know he's afraid to look at me at this point. <laughs> we arrive at the top of page 18 and the caption for the first panel there says, For Batman, the pursuit has been long and bizarre, but now for Ruby Rider, justice is swift and straight. Yes, we're in the courtroom setting. The judge can be seen in the foreground of the panel, older gentleman with grey hair and thick glasses. Hinton is obviously defending Ruby. He's wearing a paler grey suit. Ruby is dressed in green. She's sat with her arms folded, looking completely non-committal. Batman can be seen sat amongst the crowd. Hinton is saying, My client was a woman wronged. Kyle Morgan broke her heart. A weak, unhappy female. She was driven temporarily insane. And in panel two of page 18, it's obviously a different part of the proceedings because the the United States Attorney General, who we met briefly earlier on, has returned. We can see the judge in the background watching as... Um, he looks rather like the, the fifth doctor, Peter Davison, the judge there, actually. Mm. As the Attorney General addresses the jury, saying... Temporary insanity? Nonsense! She hired Batman to find Kyle Morgan, bring him back to face a revenge! 
Batman was an unwitting accomplice. This weak female is a vicious, cunning, murderess. And then a lengthy caption says, On the scales of justice, all are weighed equally. The poor and lowly, the high and mighty. Now, after long arguments... Panel 3, the foreman of the jury has got to his feet, piece of paper in hand, and he declares, We find the defendant guilty of murder in the first degree. Ruby's in close-up. In the foreground of this panel, she cries, No! You can't condemn Ruby Ryder! Panel 4, everyone is making their way from the room. Hinton approaches Batman, puts his hand on Batman's shoulder and says, How does it feel, Batman? To send such beauty and brains to oblivion. She shot Morgan in cold blood. He wasn't what you think. There was something weird, not entirely human about him. And a slow dissolve. The caption for panel 5 of page 18 says, And as the months pass... And we see Pipe Smoker of the Year, Bruce Wayne, reading a copy of the Daily... What does that say? Everglass. That's probably what it is, yeah. (laughs) The Daily Everman. There's a headline that says, Ruby Ryder loses appeal, dies tonight. Oh my goodness. Justice is, is merciless indeed. Bruce Wayne thinks, I keep remembering Hinton's words. Not entirely human. And that mysterious thing that followed me abroad. Good blazes! Could it be? Got to move fast, so little time. A quick dissolve. The caption for the final panel of page 18. That night in state prison. Yes, we got a shot of the electric chair. Goodness me, this is grim. Off camera, a voice says, Here she comes. Not so conceited now. And another voice says, Yeah, the tigress looks pretty humble. As we arrive at the first panel of page 19, we see Ruby being brought closer to the chair. There's a crowd of people watching. There's a silhouetted policeman in the foreground, ready to operate the kill switch, as it were. One of the people in the the watching crowd says, That guy with the stony face, he's the executioner. The guy next to him says, Imagine. Having to pull the switch on a gorgeous dame like Ruby Ryder. And then, caption for panel 2, page 19. Then, as the flame-haired beauty approaches death's embrace... Yes, extreme close-up of Ruby looking terrified, frankly. Eyes wide, mouth wide as she says... Please, I beg you, let me live. I'll do anything. Give everything. I want to live. Caption for panel 3. Suddenly... We have a couple of new arrivals, and very helpfully, one of the men in the crowd says, Batman, the district attorney. Batman raises a hand and says, Stop! This execution is a mockery, for the murder victim Kyle Morgan is alive, and in this room. A shocked man in the crowd says, But Morgan's dead and buried. And another chap, who looks very much like a prominent comics publisher, says, Nobody here even looks like him. Another voice in the background cries, Batman's flipped. And another fella suddenly cries, What? And we see, and this is an interesting thing, that Mr. Cardi's doing something very similar to what he did with the, the Black Canary story we did a few episodes ago. A figure who was wearing a blue uniform has suddenly stretched between panel five and panel six, reading up, and we see that his uniform is tearing, splitting open, to reveal a very familiar, red-garbed, stretchy figure. Batman lunges forward and cries, That's him! The Executioner! He's Kyle Morgan, alias Plastic Man! Another chap is observing, cries, He's escaping! And then the first panel of page 20, we see the familiar figure of Plastic Man, looks like he was about to try and escape through an overhead ceiling grating, changes mind and shrinks back down to normal human proportions, and we can see him, he has the familiar black hair, he has the familiar goggles, 
the deep v-neck with the almost lace up top and he's saying oh that's the use the game's over takes his familiar specs off in the next panel page 20 saying yes i am plastic man that clown i'd hoped the world had long forgotten and i'm also kyle morgan the attorney general is there he says batman you were dead right warden this reprieve is signed by the governor ruby looks mental there's no other word for it the next panel she's always having a terrible time as she exclaims am i to live batman this is no cruel joke batman leans down and says no ruby you can't be executed for a murder that never happened a slow dissolve the caption for panel four shortly in the warden's office the warden sat behind his desk looking very thoughtful batman has stood there Ruby is slumped in a chair, arms folded, and Kyle Morgan, a.k.a. Plastic Man, still wearing the tattered remains of the executioner's jacket and still with his glasses in his hand, is standing, saying, Once, long ago, I was Eel O'Brien, a criminal, until fate made me an oddity, Plastic Man, crime fighter. We haven't had this for a while. His sort of disembodied head narrates the next panel, saying, But how I hated being trapped inside that plastic cloud. How I longed to be free, lead a normal life. No, a woman's love. It's an interesting flashbacky panel to Plastic Man coiling up some bad guys in his limbs as a couple of people look on and he shouts into a telephone receiver that he's obviously stopped him from stealing the money bags that he's got in his hand. It's a lot of fun. First panel of page 21. It's a sequence of three heads, basically. It's the Plastic Man familiar face and then kneading at his face with his fingers and then reshaping itself into to Kyle Morgan, who looks very handsome, almost like someone from a from a Western or a daytime soap opera, as he says, One day the simple solution came to me. I could be anyone I wanted. So I made myself into a man no woman could resist. Plastic Man died. Kyle Morgan was born. Ruby sits up and says, Kyle, it is you! Kyle, a.k.a. Plastic Man, continues, I met you and fell in love. I believed you loved me too, but I soon found out you were cruel, selfish, power mad. Love meant owning people to you. He narrates the next panel, saying, So, when I walked out on you, Ruby, you sent Batman to bring me back, to avenge yourself for having dared scorn you. We have a little flashback to when Ruby shot Kyle, pow pow, he's wearing the yellow shirt and falling backwards. Kyle, in inverted commas, continues in panel four, I paid Jake Angel to fake my death so you and the whole world would think me dead, but Batman wasn't fooled. So that's why you attacked me in the plane when the fever wore off. You knew I was taking you to face Ruby's bullets. Panel 5 is an exterior shot of the, the prison with the rain lashing and Batman's voice continuing from the window. Luckily, Ruby, your rage caused those bullets to hit only plastic flesh, not vital organs. Still, the shock made fading death easy. Escaping from that mausoleum was also easy. Then Kyle Morgan's corpse trailed me abroad, saving me from your goons and leaving the crucial clue that led to your capture. Ruby... Looking very wide-eyed and annoyed, says, You can't prove that. And we get close up of Kyle in the first panel, page 22, saying, Still defiant? You weren't so hardy with death near. I took the executioner's place to see you humbled for once, begging for mercy, but I'd never have pulled the switch. A close-up of Batman, as he says, I couldn't risk that. Once I deduced who you were, I had to contact the governor and rush here to stop the execution. Ruby says in the next panel, Now that I know who you really are, I'm relieved. Imagine me, Ruby Ryder, married to a freak. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't have been many laughs. Ruby makes her exit in panel four with Hinton trailing closely behind. She says, Good night and goodbye, you... you... men. 
The district attorney says, Miss Ryder, you may face charges for attempted murder. Ruby's not caring, she says. See my lawyers, I'll be too busy. Panel 5, Batman and a very sad-looking Kyle, aka Plastic Man, have crossed to an open window. It looks like the rain has stopped. I hope it has if they've got the window open. Kyle is still wearing his executioner's jacket as Batman puts a comforting hand on his shoulder and says, Do I see those plastic features drooping? I still love her, but I'll get over it. I've got to. And the final panel of this story sees them exiting the whole prison complex. Very sketchy-looking Batman says, Well, what does the future hold for Plastic Man? I don't know, Batman. In this wide, wild world of today... Is there room for me, or am I really what I feared? An out-of-date freak. And a caption says, Only future issues of Brave and Bold will reveal that. Read it ever. Miss it never. And another small caption says, The The end. end. Well, there you go, listeners. Plastic Man was the question mark. Who did you think it was (laughs) as you were reading along? I had a feeling at one point that it might have been the shade because of the black writhing mass and his obvious familiarity with Paris and its drainage system. Interesting, yes. That would have been nice. It would have been quite exciting if it actually had been the shade. <laughs> did you always know it was Plastic Man or do you have any thoughts? I'm trying to remember when I first read this story because I got it a very long time ago originally. I think it, when I first read it, I thought it might be Martian Manhunter. Right. Obviously because of the shape changing and uh, also his cans are green in a couple of panels. So I thought, oh, might be. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Also physically changing his, his appearance and stuff as well as the actual stretching and everything. I thought it could there's a possibility it could be John Johns. It reminded me of the shadow monster from Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, I have never seen an episode of Game of Thrones <laughs> Game of Thrones in my life, so I have no context for that, unfortunately. But I'm now intrigued enough to actually at least look up a clip of Game of Thrones Shadow Monster on YouTube. Yeah, basically it's like the Shades Powers. So yeah, Interesting. So you're both in the same kind of wavelength there. Yeah. Also, I thought it might be Aquaman at one point as well, when what appeared to be perhaps tentacles coming out of the water to mm. attack one of the assassins. I thought that's a mm-hmm. possibility. Yeah. But yeah, as I say, I wasn't hugely surprised when it was Plastic Man when I first read it. So I had to acquire another copy of this for doing the podcast. I had a copy of it years ago, but for some reason, inexplicably, it didn't survive the purge. And I have a vague memory of maybe flicking through it when I got a copy of this to see who it was, but it didn't really register, mm-hmm. and I wasn't enough of a Plastic Man fan to keep a hold of it. But it's interesting. I mean, we should say at this point, the last time Plastic Man appeared in the podcast was mm-hmm. like, I think it was October 2021 when we did Brave and the Bold issue. 76, published in Boxing Day 1967. So that's a long time. That's over, yes. you know, well over three years mm-hmm. of stories that have been published elsewhere since we last saw Plastic Man. Mm-hmm. But Plastic Man himself last appeared in issue 10, or A Plastic Man last appeared in issue 10 of his own comic, which yeah. was published on the 21st of March 1968. So that's nearly three years when there hadn't been a Plastic Man. So I'm wondering, do you think they were attempting to use this issue of Brave and the Bold as a backdoor pilot to relaunch him. Maybe I'll be, just test the water, see uh, what the reaction would be. Mm-hmm. It's obviously, you know, he did have a fan base, but not enough at that time. And obviously kind of making him a bit less silly, a bit more mature perhaps in this story. Yes, yeah. a dark and gritty plastic man. Is that what the world needs right now? I don't know. <laughs> Who appears to murder people. Yes. It looks like he murdered the assassins because certainly mm. the one where he comes out the water, yes. he drags the guy underwater and the knife's left there and we don't see 
what happens. Mm. It looks like he killed the one in the desert. Ah, but it's justifiable homicide. They were going to kill someone. <laughs> it was in defence of another. Yeah, but Batman usually doesn't see those sort of things that way. But yeah, it's not just... usually me making excuses for these characters. <laughs> Batman kind of <laughs> Batman kind of inspector closes his way through most of this, really. Yeah, and it's interesting to see a plastic man acting so viciously. Now mm. we should probably have this discussion as well. Mm-hmm. Mike's Amazing World. That excellent website resource sure. asserts that this is the first appearance of the Earth One Plastic Man. Mm-hmm. Now, when we did our Brave and the Bold '76, we speculated that all of the Plastic Man stories were taking place on Earth One because Brave and the Bold ostensibly was the adventures of the Earth One Batman. Mm-hmm. I don't really agree with what Mike says. I don't think there's much that contradicts what anything that we've seen before. I think this could well be another adventure featuring the Plastic Man that we saw in Brave and Bold '76. You know, there's been enough of a gap that he could have retired and questioned his existence and all yeah. that sort of stuff. I think Bimble 76, I thought that that might be a Batman on Plastic Man's world, if I remember rightly. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because Plastic Man doesn't appear again mm-hmm. um, after this till another issue of Brave and the Bold, which we will probably do. His own comic doesn't pick up until issue 11, but that's a good five or six years away. And I think mm-hmm. the next time he appears, he gets an issue of DC Special. Oh, good. Which is published in September 1971. So oh, maybe right. 1971, they were sort of vaguely thinking, yeah. are people interested in Plastic One? Possibility, Maybe there just yeah. wasn't much of a response. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just had to publish them to keep the rights and stop MF Enterprises from <laughs> doing something dodgy with them. Renaming Elastic Man again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what do we think about Ruby Rider? <laughs> she's not very nice is she <laughs> no it's true bearing in mind this is not her only appearance she's actually a recurring character through some other Brave and Bold stories so yeah she will right. return we will see her again oh. on the podcast oh seriously interesting yeah. oh hell <laughs> <laughs> I definitely should have done more preparation and practice <laughs> oh god not for a while but yeah uh, she, does, right, she does okay. return well I mean, I mean she's a queen isn't she she's magnificent Mm-hmm. In an evil sort of way, yeah. uh, and she she's clearly resilient as she bounces back very quickly from thinking she's about to be executed. Yeah. Yes, heart of stone or something, as they probably allude to at one point. She's a true survivor. Mm-hmm. I liked how super glamorous and cold she was. I found I quite I quite liked that. I'm not saying I found it attractive. Don't worry, listeners. <laughs> I just thought I think I liked that. You know, she's obviously very independent. She's obviously made her own money. Mm-hmm. You know, with all these Ruby Rider initial buildings all over the world. Yeah, it's nice to see a strong female rather than mm-hmm. uh, a crybaby Lois Lane or whatever. Yeah, it's just a shame she was maybe so much of an ice queen. I don't know. I mean, the globe trotting aspect of the story as well. I thought was great fun. All over the place we were. Yeah, Bob Payne loves that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that she was so completely unimpressed by Batman. Yes. Because yeah. yeah. I don't think I've, I don't, I mean, obviously I've got fairly limited knowledge of, of these things compared to you guys, but all the female characters we've come across so far have kind of simpered over Batman. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. it's kind of nice to see one who doesn't. I would agree. Yes, that's a good point. She just basically uses Batman as a tool, uh, literally. She sees him as hired help. And even her kneeling, begging him to help, it's all just a put on in an act. Because literally, she's yeah. like begging, begging. And then the very next panel, she's giving a peck in the cheek. You know? Yeah. Very manipulative. And also, her whole plot is just to kill Kyle and frame Batman. I mean, it's mm. great. And it really, it really works. I mean, she's not in the vast majority of the story. No. But her impact is all the way through it because she's totally driven yeah. the plot. 
I have to apologise to you for not doing her justice. She she deserves better. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> she deserved better. She was a cold-blooded Scotswoman. That's well, right. <laughs> I don't know that she was That's that right. cold-blooded. Yeah. I mean, obviously she was wicked uh-huh. and despicable, mm-hmm. but to nurse that kind of a grudge, to be so angry at this mm. guy. There must have been some real feelings there, I think. Mm-hmm. She's a, a wealthy narcissist who lives in a tower that is uh, personalised. Yes. And basically lies and manipulates uh, to get people to do her bidding and basically thinks she can get away with absolutely anything and her lawyers will deal with it. So she's Bruce Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) I was going for someone else, but that's right. I was going to say, so in the next episode, she'll run for president. Yes. (laughs) I see. Sorry. Ah, you know, I was I wasn't picking up on your allusions to the real world there. I apologise. No, I, I I see what you mean. Yes, it's almost like a, a satire. Yeah, mm-hmm. of, of somewhat a prominent figure fifty years too early. Maybe maybe he based himself on her. Yeah, there's <laughs> a thought. There you go. Hey, I seen Ruby Ryder. She's great. Interesting. <laughs> She's almost like a prototype for the post-crisis Lex Luthor. I can see that. Yes. Yeah, being you know the wealthy business person again, yes. living in a personalised tower with a, their big monogrammed letter at the top uh-huh. and you know hiring people to do their bidding and you know, it, it's there's definitely a similarity there i think that's really interesting i don't imagine that would be an influence in the creation of that character or the recreation of that character i should say but certainly the parallels are there yes it's a very interesting observation i would i would agree with it I think we need to talk a little bit more about the globetrotting sort of aspect of it. I don't think we've this many locations since we did Manhunters or since the no. Reverse Flash went on his last crime spree. Uh-huh. It was it was a lot of fun for that, and tonally it was all over the place as oh, well. God, yeah. you know, uh-huh. We go from like Headhunter Native Indians to you know to the campness almost of the way Ruby was was rendered and mm-hmm. Hinton to you know the the very real electric chair sort of stuff. It was mm-hmm. it was. You you really we've talked about this before. You really do get the sense of Bob Haney just having a great time, just type yeah. type type type. Mm-hmm. I got to say that the artwork. I alluded to this a couple of times when we were yeah. when we were through it. The artwork wasn't the best. I think from Mister Cardi, it veered from no. kind of sketchy and foggy to to mm-hmm. the mag. You know, absolutely magnificent looking minor details here and there. Uh-huh. Not his best work. I think yeah. the inconsistency of the secondary mm. characters' faces was just. Awful. It was really atrocious, to be honest. Yeah, I think she's got a yeah. million, like half a dozen lawyers called Hinton. Probably, yeah. <laughs> None of them are actually called Hinton, but she calls them all Hinton. Yes, <laughs> could be. Apparently, looking back through it, I mean, it's very boxy. Mm-hmm. A lot of pages have very similar layouts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was a bit of a rush job, and I also sort of wonder, in a way, if the the slightly caricatured way that Ruby was rendered and some of the other characters are drawn was maybe maybe they were trying to kind of tie it into the Plastic Man style of storytelling. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. that was another hint. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but could be. It was quite amusing spotting the celebrities, you know, like Boris Johnson and <laughs> Charles that, that that popped up occasionally. Yeah. Even the way he draws Plastic Man, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like Cardi's comfortable drawing this. No, I know what you mean. Plastic Man just looks weird. It's mm-hmm. it's very unusual. The panel at the top of page 19 where Ruby's screaming, begging for her life as she's been led to be executed reminds me very much of Jack Kirby. I know what you mean, yeah. It's very much a wide-eyed, wide-mouthed, desperate look uh-huh. with the, like, the action lines around the face. Yeah, it's very very much a Jack Kirby angle as well, looking up. Uh-huh. Usually we say the up-the-nose look is kind of more Gil Caney, but this looks very Kirby-like to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
Maybe Mr. Cardi was just trying something different. I mean, could be. The, but the disparity between you know the the moodiness on page fifteen, mm-hmm. you know, with the the nighttime attack on Batman, and and then just as we say, look at page twelve, which is really really rudimentary. There's yeah. people. I remember people used to make disparaging comments about Image Comics in the nineties when you would just yeah. see people standing against neutral backgrounds. There's no background yeah. detailing to a lot of the rooms. A lot of times it's just talking heads. It's very unusual. Yeah, and the crashing through the window is. It looks like he's bursting through a paper sheet, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get at first glance that that was him crashing through the window. It's green yeah. for a start. Like, you know, it's, it looks it does. It, it yeah. looks like uh-huh. looks like that bit in Gladiators, you know, where they come through the paper sheet <laughs> at the end. It's a real contrast to, to the last Brave and the Bold that we did, yeah. that Nick Cardi drew, mm-hmm. which had real quality sort of draftsmanship going on. But I suppose, you know, people have their good days and their bad days, but as, a, as we sort of briefly discussed it might have been a deliberate stylistic choice to maybe hint at who the mm. question mark character was going to be interesting interesting i mean two minds about how i feel about the upside down word balloon i understand the, <laughs> the artistic reason for it i thought that was great it, it, it did bug me <laughs> only because you couldn't figure out how to turn your tablet <laughs> Exactly, I could turn my comic upside yeah, down, it's easy, yeah, but yeah. You, you insist on being all 21st century about it. <laughs> I think that's probably us for discussion, is there anything else we want to think about? I thought the the Plastic Man character was more interesting than a lot of the characters in these stories, mm-hmm. because he, was, he wasn't really black and white. Uh-huh. He'd been a crook, he got sick of it, but it wasn't so much that he had a big moral revelation, he just didn't want to be a clown anymore you know yeah. yeah and now at the end you know it's left pretty open you don't know what his mm-hmm. what his future path is going to be what he's going to do mm-hmm. you know it's quite unusual in one of these stories for there to be a character who's not a hero and is not a villain yeah he's just a kind of stretchy person yeah because mm-hmm. <laughs> he started off as a crook got his powers became a hero and then obviously decided to pack it all in and yeah try and retire into this new persona so yeah mm-hmm. it's is really but it, it's, it's more it's, human in the sense yeah. of not being whiter than white but also not being mm-hmm. a total monster yeah yeah that's one of the things about plastic man he is that whole he has that whole reformed criminal thing going on and it really paints him in really quite you know deep sort of shades here it's it's mm-hmm. very very interesting it kind of Reminds me of some of the characterization that we got for Wildcat when he mm-hmm. popped up in the Spectre. You know, it's mm-hmm. this is very Bronze Agey. Things have definitely evolved, yeah. I think, as far as giving characters sort of depth and new personality. And because mm-hmm. Batman's a bit of a blank slate in this episode, mm-hmm. Batman's always a bit of a blank slate. <laughs> He's just a big slab of boring. It's a nice contrast between Batman and you know the, the sort of camp lawyer and the and the raging business ice queen. So it's a very interesting story. I think there's there's a lot of uh-huh. a lot going on. Maybe a little bit more than you'd expect, and yeah. certainly there's a lot, a lot more nuance to it yeah. than the last time we did a Batman and Plastic Man story. Ruby Rider actually gave me some Law and Order vibes <laughs> because there's a character in Law and Order that uh, whenever she turns up, everyone has to comment on how hot they think she is, <laughs> and it seemed to be the case here as well. Where whenever she appears, someone always said, "Oh, she's so gorgeous, she's beautiful," and it's yeah. Isn't that what happens with all female characters in comics, though? Because that's all they're there for, generally speaking. Certainly maybe at this time. Not always. There's a lot more of it than, than hopefully there is nowadays. I think maybe things it's another <laughs> indication, I suppose, maybe of how predominantly. hopefully we've evolved. Don't know. Who can say? Mm, yes. I'll give you some comics featuring Danny Goodness to read and uh, see what you think about that. Or Mad Harriet, or, you know, one of those. Awesome. <laughs> yes, some Jack Kirby to read. That's fine. That's what we'll do. Okay. <laughs> Sadly, there's no reader reaction from this time. 
There's no comments in the letters pages really about this story. But we have had some correspondence ourselves. Alec Bregner has sent in a nice email to us. Oh, that's good. And funnily enough, it's about Bob Haney. And he says, Hello again, guys. I was just wondering if either of you have any insight regarding the seemingly complete freedom that Bob Haney was given to write stories and characters that took scant notice of his employer's defined continuity at the time. To me, this seems very strange, especially as in the same era, DC was known for being very overbearing towards its writers and artists about what they could and couldn't put into the comics. What made Bob so different to everybody else? That's a good point. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Do you, do you have an interesting answer? Personally, I think that uh, Bob Haney mostly worked for the editor Murray Bolton off at this time. And I think Murray knew that Bob could just put out good stories and they sold well. So they kind of just left him to it. Right. We're around about the time where Brave and Bold was at the highest selling Batman comic. It outsold Batman and Detective and they thought, okay. this is working so... Just let him keep going, and people are enjoying it. It's it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, his, his stories are a lot of fun, and that's that's it. I mean, it's it's so different from yeah. what was going on in Batman and Detective at this time. And because I remember when we did the Spectre, and there was an awful lot of resistance to people to the uh-huh. stories becoming a little bit more sophisticated. So maybe people just enjoyed the cheap thrills aspect of Penny's Brave and the Bold compared to the the more serious stuff that Danny yeah, O'Neill and Bill Adams were and doing. And you do have the bonus of having all these cool characters appear in it you know all these secondary characters so all the guest stars i should say they are tons of fun i mean i keep on going back to back when he was writing aquaman and you know he introduced black manta and <laughs> and in black manta's first appearance aquaman literally says ah it's my old enemy black manta and doesn't actually <laughs> yes. bother to explain what his origin is i think he did the same thing for ocean master as well yes. pretty much and later on people had to fill in the gaps but that that's was hilarious. fine he just wanted to get on with the story <laughs> that's crack that cracks me up yeah tell a fun story and go in get out and entertain while you're there you know it's yeah, and that's a good thing. Way there you go. <laughs> Don't bore us, get to the chorus, so to speak. Yeah, I know what you mean. So yeah, a successful writer, so leave him to his own devices. And I think the, the editors that were more focused on continuity were people like Julie Schwartz at this sort of time, and he wasn't working for them. So uh-huh. that's right. Everyone had their own editorial kind of fiefdom yeah. in DC at this time. So you had Murray Boltnoff, Julie Schwartz... Mort Weisinger is another one, and there may have been a run-in with Bob Haney and Mort Weisinger at one point. I think that's been mentioned mm. in places, but um, I don't really know much more about that. But uh, he was successful, he wrote interesting stuff, and other people, if they wanted to explain it, they could, or at least they could try. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's cranking out interesting stories that are giving us lots to talk about, and that's really we should be very grateful for, I think. So that was an email from Alex, so thank you very much for that. If you want to email us, you can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media, because we'll be posting lovely bonus material for this and indeed every episode. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at theearth2podcast, and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. Now, if you want to leave us a voicemail... Oh, yes. You can go to speakpipe.com forward slash theearth2podcast. And you can leave us a message and we might even play it out on the show. Yeah, I think I've mentioned the the Talkville podcast, which I've been following recently, which is Michael Rosenbaum Uh and Tom Welling re-watching Smallville and chatting about it. And they do this. Yeah, so if you're going to send us a voice message, that'd be a lot of fun. If you've got a question for us, you just want to give us some feedback, that'd be be nice. That'd be good. Yeah, and Pete says, check out the socials. I've managed to track down no less than 
three foreign reprints of this wow. issue of Brave and the Bold. So look forward yep. to sharing them with you. Probably around about Tuesday or Wednesday, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yes, I've spent many hours in the last week or so scouring the deepest, darkest recesses of the interwebs to find as many foreign reprints of the stories that we're covering For as you. possible. And I've turned up some crackers. So yes, great fun. Look forward to sharing them. And once again, I'll very briefly say, if you feel generous and you're enjoying what we do, you could go to wherever it is you receive our podcasts and leave us a positive review. I'm told such things are very good for us. That'd be lovely. And on that note, I've been Peter. I've been Christine. And I've been David. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next week on The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. Well, Hinton, if that is your name... But I'm not Angel, and neither is Kyle Morgan. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, apologies. Christine's allergic to overnighting. I'm sorry. I heard that rumour. I know I started it.